0: hello and welcome to episode 20 of the mental health gaming podcast once again i'm bradley and i think he's out of the queues at primark now but Stu, you're there and you're good yeah loaded up with loads of cheap merch so very happy um yeah it's just ridiculous scenes shops opening and the queues at primark and sports Direct. it kind of makes you look at it and go, oh, well, not much is going to change.
1: <laughs> I can understand why people do it or why some people are doing it, but the whole idea of it makes me just shiver, you know, the idea of being that close to people. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to recover enough to mentally to just be
0: close to people ever again. No, no. And it's one of those things, it's weird, because I don't blame the people because... Mm it's the decision was made for them to go and do it so they're gonna go and do it um, but yeah it's a it's a discussion for later possibly but obviously being good and staying indoors means hopefully we've been playing some games and as usual I'll let you start so I've had a go at formula retro racing
1: which is a game strongly inspired shall we say by Virtual racing which is from way back in 1992 and Flat shaded polygons, very gorgeous and sort of mark the transition kind of between arcade games focusing on really flashy 2D graphics, pushing the sort of sprite scaling envelope as far as they could. And then the move to, you know, using 3D models for stuff. And prior to that, it was all kind of like Sims, like loads of people have played like um, F29 Retaliator and stuff like that. And Strike Eagle and and things in the either in the arcade or at home and there are loads of Sims, and it was like the first game you were like, whoa! This is like you can play it like an arcade game, like you jump into it, really straightforward controls, you know what you'd expect, but also has an arcadey feel of immediacy and you know bright and flashy, totally Sega. So kind of outrun but smartened up for a new gen and. Yeah, that's a long way around to come to say that Formula Retro Racing just like rips it off completely, but in a kind way, in an homage. And let's face it, it's about time because there's hardly any of those. Like Sega even kind of moved away really fast from that with, with Daytona, which was, you know, not flat shaded anymore. It was like bit mapped. I'm probably getting far too techie now. But anyway, <laughs> it was, uh, it lacked that kind of child's building block look that really simple polygons have and when you do them well they look gorgeous and formula retro racing looks gorgeous as you'd expect it's kind of like similar styled courses to to virtual racing it's got far more I, th- I think it's got more cars on the grid pretty sure that it has it's like 18 or 20 it's so it's a lot In so it's amount, you yeah. yeah exactly using the technology well and it means that there's you can have that thing where you've got a big grid to overtake and then there's a a sort of lull and then there's the back markers who you then you know have to over overcome as well so you're not just driving on an empty track if you're in first position and all that's great and it looks lovely but it has a lot of bugs it's a very buggy game i won't go into them in too much detail because i've done a review for the site so you can read it there but there's a good few quality of life bits and pieces and some physics stuff it's not quite the the perfect comeback for that style of game but it's still worth looking at if
0: you're into it yeah I, i'm tempted to take a look at this one actually um, just as a, a slight aside to that you mentioned in virtual racing my main experience of virtual racing was i loved the game but i was put off it very early on i remember when i was younger and uh, my mum was kind of on a bit of a date with a, a guy she'd been seeing and we went to a pub i think it was or a social club or something and they had a virtual racing arcade machine at the pub and i remember the guy mum seeing at the time he was just giving me loads of coins to go and stick into this machine and play it. and i was like oh i love this guy this guy's really great um and so i started playing it and playing it and playing it Um, and i was telling my mum how great the guy was because he was giving me money to go and play it and she said to me she went no it's it's just not going to happen i'm 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 not seeing him anymore i got really upset and i said i hate you mum. it's not fair Uh." and uh, (laughs) she told me why the reason he was giving me money to go and spend was because he was speaking to my mum about wanting to take her and my sister, possibly my brother at the time, I can't remember, who were like still infants uh, or toddlers, they weren't that old, wanted to take them on holiday. But because I was older and wouldn't see him as a dad, he didn't want me to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, and uh, so my mum basically ended it with him and just went, yeah, no, that's not happening. And then, <laughs> I, I got But really, like, he was giving me money. Cool. Um, so I didn't play virtual racing for years after that. It's only sort of like, as I got a bit older and I saw it in arcade, I started playing again. Um, yeah, so yeah, t- totally weird aside, but yeah, it brings up some. I don't want to say bad memories because I don't think they're bad, but it's yeah, some interesting yeah. memories.
1: It's weird, isn't it? Because like you don't, I, well, I don't have very many sort of neg- negative associations around particular games because you're very often, especially when you're grown up, you'd be off in a separate room. And therefore it's very difficult to have stuff impinge that would have like crushed the experience for you. I mean, I have very strong memories of after my dad died, I was playing Shinobi on the master system a lot. But I'd been playing that before as well. But I when I think of that game, I think of it in those sorts of terms, you know, it brings that memory back. Um, but most sort of going to the arcade stuff is just like pure joy because you only ever went there on days when, you know, you were on holiday or having fun or whatever and stuff like that but
0: but yeah i'm okay with this i mean uh formula Retro racing it's an indie title isn't it it's not by any of the major developers
1: that's right it is yeah, yeah. and as i say in the review like you can tell the difference in polish from a triple a to a to a retro uh, remaster well not a remaster but you know take aping that style even though it was like you know 30 years in the past the level of polish that sega put into stuff is just amazing
0: really so would you say, looking at it, because when I look at some homages, sometimes you look at an homage you go, right, that was fancy of the original that have wanted to just have it back again in some form. Or you look at something and go, well, that's a cynical cash grab. Where does this fit on that scale?
1: So it is like a lost sequel in a way. So it's exactly in the same sort of style and looks just as nice, uh, but it's new courses. So it's, yeah, it's, you can't think of it in a cynical way whatsoever. And I think... It's pitched very much... I would say that if you liked virtual racing, you'd love to get this, and you will accept the flaws. I think if you're not that bothered and you're just looking for an arcade racer, you might have more of a a challenging experience with it. Although, again, it's not awful by any stretch of the imagination. It's above average. It's just... There are just a few things that knock it down from being great.
0: That's definitely one I'll I'll look out for uh, and give a try at some point. Mm -hmm. So, moving on, I got sent uh, the Outer Worlds on Switch. And I had my eye on this one for quite some time. Um, I was always intrigued to see how this would pull. Mainly because I loved uh, Fallout 3, especially New Vegas, and then we'll forget the other ones beyond that. But, uh, yeah, I love New Vegas, and knowing a lot of the team from that are behind uh, this was, yeah, I was always on the lookout for it and the ability to want to be able to play it portable was always a big factor for me, which is why I never played or briefly touched the Xbox version on Game Pass and then you know, I didn't really have the funds to buy it on release, so I, I let it go I started hearing a lot of negatives about it's a bad port, it looks grubby, it runs poorly and, and those sort of things so I've played, been playing it. I'm a few, a couple of hours in, uh, maybe four or five hours in, something like that. And, right, it doesn't look as good as the Xbox One version, um, that's for sure. You get a fair amount of texture pop in and that kind of thing. But it doesn't matter. It still plays really well. If there is really bad frame rate issues, it's a slow enough pace game, you don't notice it. Uh, but, yeah, it's a really good game, and it definitely is. You can see that it is almost, you're talking about how uh, Formula Retro Racing feels like what a sequel could have been to uh, Virtual Racing. This almost feels like what a Fallout sequel to New Vegas could have been if handled by that same team and not moved on. The targeting systems work really well. You still got that thing where you you're walking around, and there's just so much to to find and collect, and side missions, and and that kind of thing. Character animations are still janky as hell because that's what you get in those sort of games. And I I, I like the charm of it. But yeah, it's a a really interesting game, and obviously a lot of people know about the game. But there's a poll. You know, we are not at the insane levels of what was managed with The Witcher, for example. Um, And I do expect maybe a patch or two to to improve it. But it's never as bad as what the most hysterical people uh, decree. It plays fine. It looks fine. So, Mm. yeah.
1: That's great. I mean, it's really important, I think, that those technical boundaries are pushed. And even if it doesn't end up being flawless, they've squeezed everything till it absolutely screams to get this to work. And that's a great thing because it's a game I feel that even with the amount of people who've got game pass that it wouldn't reach the audience it probably deserved unless it had a switch port
0: so yeah, the again, the only thing I don't like with regards to these games where they get late switch ports and things like that, and I'm hoping this is something that changes as we go, and I think we're on the right road, is just give me cross-save across every single platform. Uh, Because the main reason I wanted it on the switch is I don't get as much time on the actual TV these days. You know, I've got a partner who likes to watch a bit of TV when she comes home from work, and I'm not going to argue that point because she's working hard at an important job. Uh, I've got a a teenager that wants his time on the consoles, and I've got a daughter that then wants to watch all kinds of kiddie crap on the TV as well. So my time on the TV is limited. So on the Switch, I'm glad to get anything that comes to the Switch. But there are times where I've gone, do you know what? I wouldn't mind booting this up on the Xbox, doing maybe an hour of The Outer Worlds, save it, and then come back to it on the Switch. And the way that obviously a lot of these companies now, especially Nintendo and Microsoft, are getting together and they're trying to do more to bridge the gap, even Sony getting in on the act. It's the one thing I want to see change because The Outer Worlds is definitely the sort of game that benefits from being able to play across systems and pick up and play elsewhere. I'd I'd quite happily buy a PC version down the line if I knew I could carry on from where I left off and then drop it back in some fashion because I would imagine... The data that's needed for that comes from basically code. So you're saying look, this is the stage this person is at this game, write that code. You're not needing to carry over graphical assets and stuff like that. And I'm not turning around and saying, oh, it's that easy. You know, it's that simple. Just do it. I know there's going to be a couple more complications, but we've seen cross save with other things and cross progression with other things. And it's the one thing I want to see added. I actually think it'd sell more copies that way as well. I agree. Yeah, that's my only real grudge.
1: Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Looking at it, you know, it's like if games sold over the long tail, so if like, I mean, I think actually The Outer Worlds probably will have a long tail of sales, but most games, they're discounted to half their price in six months, and then within a year, you're looking at paying a tenth of what it was on release. And it's like, so how many more of those are you really thinking you're going to sell? So if you made it cross-save, then there may, there may be more jumping back and forth between the releases, you know, on different platforms, like you say, and drive interest in a game that may have dropped off the radar. So, yeah, no, I can't see any reason, even on a business level, why they can't do it or why they shouldn't do it.
0: I, you, you, I think you've got that spot on because I think if you release the game, at, but if you released it at £50 with cross-save across all platforms, then you're guaranteed to get a small percentage of people that will buy it full price on every single platform they own. That's gonna happen. Uh, that, that is a tiny percentage. You're then gonna get a few that will buy just the one copy with the intention of buying one copy, and then a few weeks down the line go, "I want to play so and so game with my mate on, on this on this console," so I might actually pick it up on this console as well if there's no cross play, but cross progression. So you'd get those sales as well and then you will get those who have bought it on one platform, and then you see it released on another platform down the line or drastically reduced anywhere down the line, they're then going to pick it up knowing they haven't got to start again. And Yeah, it does make business sense. I, I, and it, I, I've never understood why it's not a thing when we know it's now possible. Yeah. Um, but it, it is what it is. It's still a good pull. Well, it's, it's, sorry, it's not a good pull, but it's still an enjoyable game. I'm still really enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before I let you obviously get back to what you've been playing, there's one I want to touch on very briefly, um, and the review is on the site. Uh, but I have also been playing 1971 Project Helios. Helios? Helios, whichever. And it's an isometric turn-based strategy game set in a, a snowy future. And while the, the actual gameplay is fairly generic, it, it's, it's good enough. I have got a massive crush. If the, I mean, if the, we was talking in terms of, uh, like, people you fancy, this, this is right up there. I've got a massive crush on the visual art style. It's a snowy overworld with this top-down view, uh, well, this isometric, sorry, top-down view, um, and everything just looks absolutely gorgeous. This game is dripping in atmosphere. It feels cold and if you get a chance just check it out i'm not going to go too much into it but the yeah the art style is absolutely sublime i've got a lot of time for games where they don't zoom in as far as they need like like ultra fast But i look at the details in the face but they keep the camera back far enough that you just you look at it and just go wow um, yeah, this game has that in space, but if you do get a chance, check out 1971 Project Helios.
1: Yeah, I'd seen that that review. I I feel like that about games as well. It doesn't happen that often, but there are some that have an, such an intense atmosphere that you become totally enamoured with them. Like, um, D2 on the Dreamcast is one of my favourites. So like Kenji, you know, it um, was a sequel to D on the Saturn, and it's not very well known, but... It has some janky mechanics, but it just... Oh, the atmosphere in that game. It has a snowy one as well. That's set in, you know, the Canadian wilderness. And, yeah, my God, that you just you feel the cold and you're playing it. I love it when that happens.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But, yeah, that that's on the Switch. I believe it is on other systems as well. But, yeah, it, look, it, it looks great. Um, I just wanted to touch on that one because that's the other major one I put a lot of time into. Um, so what else have you been uh, playing with?
1: Um, I've been playing halo 5 uh because i picked up an xbox one i'm really enjoying that and i managed to get one, one brief game online with a friend of mine and then I'll... before before oh, you talk sorry, about got... that
0: please tell the please tell the listeners what version of an xbox one you've got <laughs> i
1: got the xbox one x cyberpunk 2077 edition uh which is very lovely it was very expensive and uh yeah <laughs> probably shouldn't have got it but it is very lovely. I don't care. <laughs> it
0: looks amazing, yeah. and I'm not at all jealous. It
1: is. It's completely daft. It's sitting next to my, like, I've got my PS4 next to it and the PS3, because still stick that on occasionally, and it just looks so unusual and daft. But, yeah.
0: Did you get an R2D2 <laughs> Xbox 360 at any points, Stu?
1: <laughs> I did not. No.
0: Nah. That's what you just want, <laughs> a nice collection of just the, the most insane... Garish, consoles garish just word. all lined up. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: that would be cool. I mean, that's kind of part, part of the reason I got it is because it it looks weird but good and it will probably be worth at least what it what I paid for it in the future. Um probably yeah, it'll probably yeah. it'll, co-
0: it'll cover part of an Xbox Series X at least. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I've been playing, yeah. So I played played some Halo 5, which we're we'll talking about in a second. I played some Master Chief Collection. mostly Halo 2 maps with my friends, and that was really strange because we loved playing Halo 2 together back in the day, and going back to the maps and seeing them spruced up uh, was amazing. Really enjoyed it. Got caned, but (laughs) it was still great fun. But Halo 5 and single-player, I'm really enjoying, and it's one of those that, you know, it divides people, and there's a lot of negativity about the Halo series because it's never quite recaptured what it did in the first installment but if you take it on its own merits it's still such a good game because the designs are great the weapons are well balanced and you you enjoy getting to use all of them and the ai on the enemies is still really exceptional and it's arenas rather than just corridors so that's amazingly that's still a, a real feature these days because like the call of duty games are still very much corridory So, yeah, no, I I really like it, and I don't see where all the hate comes from, to be quite honest.
0: Again, I think this is something that comes down to, I've noticed with certain series before. Um, So if this was called Steve the Alien Space Defender or something like that, it would be held as one hell of a fantastic game. But because it's Halo and it's got this almost mythological level of reverence about it, Reference, reverence you can edit whatever that bit is <laughs> um it's got that about it it's it's unless the games are nigh on perfect they're always going to receive a level of hate and the haters i'm sorry i don't want to use the term haters um but yeah people who, who hate on games for certain things are gonna are gonna be the most vocal unfortunately and that's what you start to hit and then that spreads and then those who were maybe on the fence that's well oh, maybe the game isn't as good as what i thought and you get that I remember like the Hitman games, it the Absolution, I think it was when that came out, and the hate that got because it wasn't a Hitman game, which is correct. It wasn't a traditional Hitman game, but it was still technically a very, very good game, an excellent game, in fact, but it just wasn't a Hitman game. Um, and I've seen it with a couple of the updated Splinter Cells. And I remember thinking, if this, I, I remember writing a review for, I'm going to say Blacklist, possibly, might have been Conviction. write a review and say that if this was a licensed game under the 24 franchise, that's how long ago it was now, that 24 was still something you could reference, and Jack Bauer was the main character, then it would be held as a fantastic licensed title because it, it played really well. It just wasn't a Splinter Cell game. And I think that's sometimes the problem with licenses and with some of the... The bifos around certain titles that it causes people not to like something that is technically still very good. Yeah, I agree with that definitely.
1: Was Absolution the one with the sexy nuns?
0: Quite possibly, yes. It's the one that basically, basically had all the markers around. say pick this up, throw this, and wasn't like the the completely open world Hitman that people were used to. I mean, it was in the the end. I suppose it's a good thing because it led to the 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 proper reboot and IO. Interactive have now got the franchise themselves and can really lean into what they do best. But yeah, the game Absolution was still a good game. It just wasn't a good hit game, um, and I think that that comes down to a lot of things sometimes. Yeah,
1: nothing. Yeah, nothing has touched Halo. You know, Combat Evolved really in that series, but each one has its own qualities and its own good. You know, its own merits. So yeah, I would say play it. It's um, you know, it's a great game.
0: Yeah, Halo Two was I found the story in Halo the single player in Halo Two was crap, but boy did I put a lot of multiplayer hours into that yeah. with my friends at the time. Yeah. Definitely
1: better than Halo Three's multiplayer, which was good, but it wasn't anywhere near as good as Halo 2's.
0: No, um even though I went back to it on Master Chief Collection and I sucked at it. <laughs> because you're better when you play with your friends. You're not good when you play with people who dedicate a lot of time to playing games online. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, weird week for me uh, with regards to my own mental health. I found myself having quite a few needless strops over the past week and I'm, I'm completely unsure why. I think it comes down to not knowing what to, what to think at the moment and I'll try and explain that a bit better. For the past number of years, Um, I'd get to around the middle of the month. The bills have just about managed to be paid, just about managed to get food on the table, just about got some electric to cover another week. Um, And then I'd be getting that point going, the panic starts setting in about I've got no money left. I don't know how I'm going to afford the rent at the end of the month, scrabbling around to try and find any little bit of work um i think i almost found comfort in the fact that i was always stressed around this time of of the month um but obviously now being on universal credit at the moment it what's changed now is yes we still have little money left come the middle of the month because you know we're not all of a sudden loading it up on 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 um on universal credit but what's happening now we're getting to the middle of the month and i'm not feeling the panic coming about the end of the month because i know i'm going to get that payment and i'm going to be able to afford my rent so my brain is is doing these weird things now because it needs to stress but i can't find things to stress about i'm not even able to scrabble around for the work at the moment um so i can't get stressed that i can't find work i can't get stressed that i can't do this and i can't do that um and that things aren't hunky-dory obviously and i would rather be working but but it's just a really weird situation to be in that I'm comfortable, more comfortable than I've been for years. But mentally, I'm not coping with it as well as I thought I would. Bizarrely, this is probably the most regular pattern I've had. Perhaps
1: it's just the, the general change That I mean, I'm not trying to just find an answer for you. But... Oh, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, it all changes. is stressful, isn't it, even if it's positive change because your brain's rewiring itself. So it can cause you know, neurological pathways to be uh, switching around and make things feel very weird. I mean, I feel weird all the time because the world is changing and my circumstances are changing. And even though I'm not like being negatively impacted by a lot of stuff because I've made sure I've changed to accommodate it, it still feels very strange. And it, I do feel like discombobulated and have weird dreams and things like
0: that. Yeah. That, that's, that's the thing I've noticed actually. The, the... Dreams are are just so much more vivid in the last few months. Yeah, yep. Um, and I, I, it seems to be something that everyone's been noted. I'd i like to say, oh, well, I hope someone's doing a study into what is causing this almost mass. I don't want to say. I suppose it is a mass hysteria in a way. While we're sleeping. Yeah.
1: So the, yeah, definitely be a mass change. But yeah. Yeah, because everything has changed. I I don't think some people quite understand it yet. And, you know, because obviously you don't live for history, you just live for the day um, and the immediate future. But I think when when everyone looks back in a couple of years, they'll be like, you know, uh, God, yeah, my, my brain, my thought patterns, my dreams, everything just changed practically overnight.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'd say one of the things that has really got to me as well is and we mentioned it at the, at the top of the the episode was seeing on the Monday um, for whenever people listen to this Monday the fifteenth of June uh, in the UK when all the shops reopened, um, and then just seeing the footage on social media and the news of the queues and people just just lining up for blocks. Just to get some some cheap tat out of Primark or 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 Scum Direct, Um, and it was depressing to see. It's that the those in charge knew exactly what we would do, Um, and that's the collective we. Obviously not not me and Youstia. I know you, unless you was in a queue at Primark, obviously. But um, you know, but the the collective we would go out and we would spend our money. They was priming us for it with updates um, from people saying how credit card debt is at the lowest it's been for God knows how long. So we've got money to spend all in the build-up to go in. The shops are now open. They've been priming us for weeks to go out on this day and spend. And the one that really depressed me, and it shows that things aren't going to change as smoothly as we'd hope. And I'm hoping that we do create a revolution, whether it's through protests or whatever, and that we aren't going to stand for this. The one that showed me things aren't going to change was the Sports Direct offering all NHS staff 50% off anything in the store. On the Facebook, it's a good thing, but the 50% off was for one day only on the opening day. What they're not going to want to do is don't go and stand in those queues and put themselves at risk before they're going back into a hospital with at-risk people. So on the face of it, you're going, yeah, you know, it's a really good, good, it's 50% off to NHS staff. But a one-day offer of 50% off to NHS staff that Mike Ashley knows full well, none of them or barely any are going to take up because they know the risks or they just can't get there. It shows that it's evil. It's to try to make them look good, to get more people through the door. And at the end of the day, all it cares about is the bottom line. And that really, I think that was one of the things yesterday, I was in a stinking mood yesterday. And I think it was watching everyone fall for this hook, line and sinker and defending the reopening of shops. And it just really depressed me that the hopes I had that things were going to change have been manipulated out of people. Over the past weeks. And it's just so depressing to see.
1: It's a hard one to get over, definitely. If they'd done the, I mean, quite aside from the fact that it feels too early to be doing this, if they'd done it in a way that wasn't manipulative and exploitative, then you would have seen the people who sort of genuinely need to go and, you know, buy some more pants because they're falling apart and need to get their kids some clothes and, you know, people who have, you know, basically worn rags for the last few months because they've not been able to go out and get stuff you would have seen those people go back to the shops and then people who are a bit more intrepid but like you say when you drive people towards it through messaging and through ridiculous stunts like the 50 percent off thing you know that's like saying like you said it's like saying there's free gold bar for you if you you know come to dubai tomorrow (laughs) like okay can't do it but you know thanks for the offer yeah, it's just it's just you know a load of bull, like you say, to get people to be manipulated into doing something that they they really shouldn't really be doing.
0: And I, I promised myself, I tried to promise myself that I wouldn't go overly political on this, but it, it's hard. We know it's hard to avoid just with everything that's going on at the moment. Um, but one of the other things that really sort of I noted was over the past week to ten days with the Black Lives Matter protest. Um, and everything surrounding that, the issue around COVID-19 had kind of fallen away a little bit. Um, it wasn't in the forefront of people's minds. And as much as you'll get governments coming out and condemning Black Lives Matter protests, um, but then Pretty Patel claiming that it's only a small minority of racist thugs going out and doing things at the same time, um, because that's okay to condone. Um, but having these happen, our government, especially the UK government, were loving this because it distracted from what they wanted to, what they was trying to do. It's distracted from the manipulation they were trying to do, and that people, because they was focused on the other thing, they could subliminally put in the other stuff they needed and make bad decisions without as much recourse as they would get. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be sort of like sounding like a conspiracy nut, but or anything like that, but. The timing was perfect for them. It it really was. The timing was perfect. And it's hoping that we'll look back at this and we will see that people finally woke up to what governments are trying to do. And that we wake wake up to it and we can be better people for it. But the initial thing, unfortunately, I think for me, it put me on a downer when I was feeling so positive.
1: Yeah. I think there are positives to be taken from it. Yeah, it's definitely a downer but it's weird covid is kind of the bump in the road that has distracted from brexit and trump which you know is just a kind of cover all term for the move towards the right wing in in the western world and it, it it kind of it's following a curve so the brexit stuff and trump getting in and then this happening with black lives matter they're all interconnected and the, the COVID thing is just kind of like peripheral to it almost. And it's been heading this way for a while. And it feels to me like the BLM thing is an expression of people turning on the right wing view because you can't be a right winger and support Black Lives Matter. It just do- it doesn't compute because class is tied up with it so much yes. and so many uh, black people's lives are unfortunately discriminated against so that they're not in you know it, there's no distribution in class it's very difficult for them to break out of you know their section of society because of the way that white people treat them so yeah it, it, it does feel like finally a good reaction a positive reaction to the way the world has been turning in the west over the last few years and that's one positive i'm taking from it there's been a lot of people there's been people who you know they're complete idiots and messing it up for the rest of us but it's so heartwarming to see so many people react positively to it that that's the best thing i've taken out of this week in the last two weeks
0: yeah so people who see our twitter will notice i i've tweeted retweeted like quite a lot of posts that have supported black lives matter and the lgbtq community because not forget pride month is this month that's that's easy to forget with everything that's going on at the moment but i've done a lot of tweets in support of that as a straight white male uh, and i had someone mention to me say why are you supporting all this as much as you are why are you bringing as much attention to this as as much as you are um, and i just went because it's not fair and that, that's what it comes down to. As someone who supposedly should be in a privileged position as a straight white male, I'm still lower down on the class system. I was, you know, brought up in my early years on a well-known dodgy estate from around my way, um, the Mardyke for anyone who's, who's local. I've grown up in council houses on estates, sorry, a council flat on an estate, a council house then further down the road. Um, And only when I moved out did I then go private rental, which has then destroyed me. So I'm low down on the class system. So I know the struggles. This is where it's most hypocritical. I can't afford and I can't risk going out to protests because of my children and the work my partner does. I can't risk it. So I have to support from afar. Um, And the only way I can think to do that is to speak out, like I did with my uh, What I've Learned Through Racism video and then the tweets I put out, just to make sure that those voices are spread as much as possible. And yeah, someone asking why I care so much. And it's like, because honestly, it's not fair. I want to see a better world where everyone is treated equal. I think that to sort of summarize how I feel about it,
1: societies that are equal are happier societies. So it's like, if you live in a society of inequality, you become one of the people who separates themselves from society and lives in their own little bubble of money and privilege so that you don't have to see the the pain and the discomfort of other people if you're a person who just wants to be part of general society and see everybody you know reasonably happy and interacting properly and there're not being no-go areas and everybody having decent healthcare and de- decent housing then you realize that Once everybody has that, everybody benefits and that's where we want to get to. And I'm really quite hopeful now that things will change because I've had conversations with people and they've said, well, yeah, but you know, once this particular X, Y, or Z is over, it'll all go back to the way it was. And I'm like, well, I think it won't because the people, the young people who my age, we don't count. I don't count. It's the young people who, who count in this situation. You, you're hoping that they're seeing that there's a different way of living, and when they grow up and they take the reins of power, they will make it change. And you have to have that hopefulness, and I do have that hopefulness, and I do think things will change. So, yeah, we're living in a really horrible time, but I do see that really nice, you know, things pot- potentially happening in the future.
0: Yeah. No. And again, uh, you're uh, singing from the same hymn sheet as well, and. The, the hope is that we do start to get it right in some areas and then it's a snowball effect. The protest, I, I do honestly think the protests that we're seeing now are showing that it works and that we that's where we're going to see the change. It's not going to be the easier change that I thought it was going to be. Um, I think it is going to be a fought for change. Um, but those who have had it easy for so long now are going to notice that they're gonna see a lot more uh pushback from minorities and i don't just mean people of color i don't just mean sexual preference i mean from the lower classes as well an uprising is, is gonna happen but yeah anyway uh we i don't think you can ever go on long enough about stuff like that but for for this episode uh we'll call it on that one so yeah as usual Join us on Discord if you need somewhere to reach out with regards to your mental health or even just if you want to chat games, it's there. Uh, You can find the link at the top of the site. We're doing a lot more content on YouTube now, uh, so please go like, subscribe there. If you want to support us, please donate via coffee or, or Patreon. But yeah, that's been... The, the show uh, thanks to Shu for joining me and we will catch you again next week. Stay safe.